Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn, if you will, to Matthew 2. Matthew 2. was wondering what to bring before you and the Lord was pleased to direct your thoughts through this week. We have been given, given some significant consideration of the Lord's incarnation. I'm very thankful for Dr. Overlay's contribution this morning as well. So if you missed that, hopefully the recording you can benefit from, especially if Handel's Messiah is something you enjoy or you want to understand why many do enjoy it. It will be helpful to you. I want to read one verse here from Matthew 2, depending on your, your knowledge of this text where we have the, the wise men seeking for the Lord. And I'm going to read just verse 11. And then I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Corinthians 12 as well. So read, let's read Matthew 2, verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. See how the apostle enters into a new theme. He's been addressing a number of questions and problems in the church. This theme that he begins in chapter 12 really runs through into uh, through chapter 14. So we'll read, just see verse 1 there. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant you know that ye were Gentiles carried away onto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Amen. We'll end the public reading of God's Word at that point and ask you to join with me in prayer as we consider the Word of God together here this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we are desirous that we might truly benefit from the consideration of the Incarnation. We're not simply here to go through a mere outward ritual where it is part of the fabric of our culture to sing certain pieces 
read certain passages, but live exactly the same way as we did before. There is such meaning and truth in the condescension of the Son of God that it should change and transform us. I pray today that thy word would be transformative. So forgive our many sins, even the inability to rightly hear the word. Correct us. And the weak instrument appointed to preach the word today, help and empower. May the Holy Ghost be evident in his ministry here. Extend thy kingdom by the power of the Holy Ghost, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We often remark at this time of the year that the greatest gift ever given is the gift of God's Son. <coughs> the incarnation of the Son of God made flesh coming into this world for the sole purpose of being the mediator of the elect, of dying in their place and rising again, obtaining victory over death and ascending to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession and will return someday in power and great glory, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and gather all the redeemed to himself forever. But God has not only given us his Son, he's also given his Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, we can't enjoy anything of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. The Spirit of God is key. And we know this through many, many scriptures that tell us of the significance of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer and, of course, the church. We know that without the Spirit of God, there's no life. He regenerates. That's the term we use. John 3, verses 6 and 7, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, said Jesus, ye must be born again. In John 6, 63, he puts it this way, it is the Spirit that quickeneth or makes alive. So not only does the Spirit make alive or regenerate and bring life into the deadness of the sinner, he also sanctifies. Once that life has come, there is a transforming influence that the Spirit continues on in the life of the genuine believer. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's transformation that takes place in our lives as we study, as we give ourselves to Christ, and the Spirit of God is working that change in us. He also teaches. He instructs. Without Him, we can't know what we are meant to know. This is brought out very powerfully in a text that is often misapplied and misunderstood in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10. I hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. That text is often brought to think about heaven. It has an application there. There are things, certainly, that can be applied. I has not seen. But it's dealing with natural man. I've said this before, and yet I, I always hear this text misapplied. It's dealing with natural man. The text is actually telling us that the believer has seen. And the believer does know certain things because the Spirit of God has instructed 
The natural man doesn't get it. But we're meant to, if the Spirit's truly at work in our lives. The Spirit also assures. 1 John 4.13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. That knowledge that we have of God is affirmed and confirmed by the experience of the Spirit in our lives. And we know that He is at work in us. Galatians 4, 6, God hath sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So He assures. He also intercedes. There are times when we don't know how to pray. We don't know how to formulate our burdens before God. We're so crushed that the vocabulary needed to express what we're feeling seems to escape us. And so we are taught by the apostle in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He also indwells. He doesn't come and go. He stays in the heart and life of the believer. Again, Romans 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. He dwells. He's there. Not just in you on Sunday. He should be in you all the time. You should know that and be aware of that. He also empowers. Acts 1, 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So these are just some things that we, and there are others could be mentioned, that you are meant to enjoy as a child of God. <clears throat> the Spirit of God is in your life, in your heart, and He is working. But then He also works in a mysterious way in all of us together, where He, he functions to actually knit us and make us experience something of what we may term Christian fellowship or the communion of the saints. A sense of connectedness and togetherness and union that the believers enjoy. It's one of the wonderful things that we identify and recognize as we travel to different churches and go to different parts of the world, sometimes even with a, a difference in language and speech and understanding, yet we sense, we sense that we all belong. We're all together. So he inhabits the church, the spirit inhabits the church, the collective body. Ephesians 2.22 are builded together for inhabitation of God through the spirit. God comes to dwell corporately here amidst the church and he does it by the spirit. So that it can be said that God inhabits his people. He unites then this community. Acts 2.42, on the day of Pentecost, with all that were converted on that occasion, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So they're brought into commun communion with one another, fellowship with one another, right there. From the moment they're converted, they have this sense of fellowship. And this is what the Spirit of God will do. This is made clear then in Ephesians 4, verse 3. We're told that is something not that we try to strive to get, but something we're simply to, to, to keep. This, this unity among all of us, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's not something we have to try and get, right? We don't have to get unity. We have unity, okay? 
the one thing that we just don't mess it up. Don't, don't drive it away. Don't, don't get in the way of causing disharmony. It's not your job or my job to actually foster unity. The Spirit brings the people of God together. That is there. What we do by our sin is we obscure it. And we cause disharmony among men and women and young people by our foolishness. So he's uniting us all together. The unity of the Spirit is already there. He also attends the preaching. So when preaching is sent out, when it's declared, when the Word is declared, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. He sends missionaries too. The Spirit sends people to other areas to sense this, this weight, this, this feeling, this compulsion. I must go and tell others about Christ elsewhere. Acts 13, 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. There's something else he does. He distributes gifts. He distributes gifts. And strange thing happened this week as my mind, of course, is filled with all the narratives and texts that we read, even with the lessons and carols, and you have all those texts, just, I guess, subconsciously and in your mind and floating around your head. And then with another thing that was going on, I was reading in 1 Corinthians, and I was reading 1 Corinthians 12, and I looked at it and I said, hey, isn't there an interesting thing here that I might want to bring to the congregation on the Lord's Day? Just the whole aspect of gifting. And how we see in the narrative of the wise men coming and presenting their gifts so much that illustrates what every believer is meant to do. That our response to the incarnation is to give ourselves in whatever way we have been enabled. We can't give what we don't possess, but we are to give what has been given to us and render it to the feet of Christ. Give it to the Son of God. Say, Lord, here am I, or here's what I have. Use it. Use it. So that's where my mind has been drawn for this morning. As you think about the Lord Jesus, as you think about the incarnation, as you ponder the coming of the Son of God, and you think of those various scenes that are given to us in very special ways, where the Spirit of God is highlighting certain events and people and key things occurring around that time. We're given this particular scene of these kings. Just, it's a foreshadowing, beloved. It's a wonderful foreshadowing. When we look at kings today, we look at wise men today, we look at the powerful today, we look at those in authority today, and we think, will they ever bow the knee before Christ? Is it that the man who inhabits the White House on any given occasion, is it impossible for him to ever bow before the Son of God? You're meant to read Matthew 2. You're meant to see these men coming from afar, bringing their gifts, showing their allegiance, presenting their honor before the true King of Kings. And then see that nothing is impossible with God, not just in the incarnation itself, but in the effect of it, in the message of it, in its influence upon the hearts of men, regardless of status and position of life, wherever they're from. And we should believe that all kings can be brought to submit before the King of Kings. So, 
with that scene in our minds, we have turned to 1 Corinthians 12, which will be primarily our focus, but it's with the sense of, of, of gifts being presented to the Lord. And I've titled the message simply, What Are You Doing With Your Gift? Now, I could have made that plural because in many instances we have more than one. But I want you to think specifically about the area in which God has gifted you and what are you doing with it? And may the Lord help us to think through these things to our prophet today. As we consider this, let's first think of the origin, the origin of gifts. And in looking at this, a few things. First of all, material gifts are from God. Material gifts are from God. I say that just to make it clear that the pattern or the illustration or the lesson that can be learned from the Magi has clear parallel. Hopefully, if there's any other issue, just let me know. I can use this. I have to switch over. <clears throat> there, there's clear parallel between the, the, what's going on because what these men brought to Christ is, is what the Lord had given to them. They had traveled all this distance with something to give. And the Lord himself had given it originally to them. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. For Samuel 2, 7. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. Ecclesiastes 6, 2. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, and so on. God gives riches, wealth, and honor. God gives what these men had and possessed. He had already given it to them. And they came then, they turned, taking their material gifts to give it to the Lord. Well, we see this also worked out spiritually. Spiritual gifts are also from God. In 1 Corinthians 12, you see this. 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, which worketh all in all. The emphasis here on the origin of the gifts that Paul addresses here, or the whole idea of gifting, points us back to the fact that the origin of this is God. That this is not men themselves simply saying, this is something I've accumulated. And one of the things that becomes clear in any of the New Testament passages that deals with gifting, and you have four primary ones, you have Romans 12, you have 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, dealing with gifting, you have also Ephesians 4, and you have 1 Peter chapter 4. And those are the four areas where he touches on, the, 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 Paul and Peter touch on this idea of God gifting his people. And... Paul, especially, in what he emphasizes here is that it is given to this body in every one of his passages, all three of them, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and in uh, Ephesians 4, he, he, he pulls it all into the idea of the body. He doesn't just deal with it separately, but he deals with this the spiritual gifting that is given to individual members of the body of Christ. So, God... You see from 1 Corinthians 12, go down to verse 18, you see it. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He's dealing with gifting. And every member has a gift. We'll see that in just a moment. 
And he sets everyone as it pleases him. Now, what we're just underlining here is that the origin of spiritual gift is from God. God is behind it. It's not something you simply drum up. It's not something you work up. It's not something, anything like that. God is in control of your life and how you are to be utilized within the body. He is sovereign then. We see his sovereignty exercised in this way. But here's the third thing, thinking of the origin. Everyone has a spiritual gift. Everyone has a spiritual gift. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. All these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. He's been dealing with gifting. These all work, that one and the selfsame spirit, it's all the same origin, dividing to every man severally as he will. Every single person has something they are to do, something they are to offer to Christ. Now, you can't bring your material or your spiritual gifting to the incarnate Christ here on earth. He has ascended. But the way in which we do exactly as the wise men did is to bring it to the body of Christ that is still on the earth. That's what's here in this room the body of Christ. That's what occupies the seating and the pews of all legitimate churches where believers gather. They are members of the body of Christ. One body. And we can't help but be separated by geography, by time and circumstance. So we see where we are. Here you are. You're in America. And you're living in the 21st century. And you happen to be in Greenville. And you're here in this place. The way you bring your gifts, as the Magi brought their gifts to Christ, is by looking at the other members of the body and applying and exercising your gift towards them in some fashion. Now, we'll develop this a little more as we proceed, but it's important for us to understand that every single person has a gift. Now, when I say that, some of the questions that may arise in your mind concern, well, well, what is a spiritual gift? What is this kind of gifting? What does it look like? Well, I mean, it can look like all sorts of things. You have the Magi bringing their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You have Luke 8, where the women ministered unto Christ of their substance, you have Mary with her ointment of spikenard, very precious, ministering unto him. There, there are all sorts of ways this gets expressed. You have, you have Nicodemus and you have, you have uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He, he, has a, he has a tomb and he is able to minister unto Christ by supplying that. There, there are all sorts of ways in which this gets expressed, sometimes in very unique circumstances but especially in particular areas where we can regularly work to the benefit of the body of Christ. As I say, you don't have the physical person of the incarnate Son of God here on earth, but you have His body here expressed 
in his church. And when you think about this whole idea, when you ask the question, as some of you may, for some of you, you know, <laughs> you know, you've, you, you, you kind of found your place, maybe long ago, and you say, that's where I am, and that's what I can do and contribute, and I just plow my furrow straight right there, and that's good. For others of you, maybe really clueless as to what it is you are able to do. I have tried to define it this way. I am sure that this could be helped by other aspects and thought, but we have limited time. A spiritual gift is the divine empowering of a Christian for the edification of the church and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. It may include the harnessing of natural abilities or an enabling that would be impossible without the Spirit. So I'm trying to encapsulate how this gets worked out in Scripture. A spiritual gift is the divine empowering of a Christian, right? You have to be a believer. For the edification of the church and the advancement of Christ's kingdom, it may include the harnessing of natural abilities or an enabling that would be impossible without the Spirit. The latter examples you have, prophecy, speaking in languages never learned that you have on the day of Pentecost and other uh, events of, of speaking in an unknown tongue, you, you can't do that without the Spirit of God. No one can do that. You can't speak in a language you have not learned. This is distinctly an enabling by the Spirit that would be impossible without the Spirit. But in some fashion, the vast majority of the work of the church is the Spirit harnessing abilities. Now, those abilities may be seen before conversion. Those abilities may come to the fore after conversion. Those abilities may be very inherent and natural to you. For example, you can look at the parents and say, you would be great at this. I know you would. I know your parents. I know, I know you could do this. You have, you have been enveloped in an environment where this kind of thing has been natural. You, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that you could do this. And other ways, it kind of comes out in a way that you might never have known or expressed. I, I very much doubt that anyone who knew me as a teenager and the few occasions where I had to speak in public would ever have imagined I would be a preacher of the word. I just, at least I, the knowledge I have of me, uh, I imagine that would have been uh, assented and agreed to by anyone who knew me as a teenager. It just wasn't there. But it, it comes forth through, through salvation, through regeneration. Sometimes certain gifts begin to show forth in various ways and others can see it and distinguish it. So most of our gifts harness natural abilities. In some ways, it may be unique to you. In some ways, it's more your particular expression of it is unique. It may be something that everyone is called to do, but you're able to do it to a greater degree. Now, when we're thinking about this, and I need to just clarify, just as not every ability man has can be exercised to the glory of God, not every ability we have can be easily used to edify the church or advance the kingdom. So I can think of, and I'm not going to go down this road, 
But imagine you can, ima- you can think of all sorts of wicked, sinful things that people do, right? All sorts of things that put people in prison, right? And many of those things get done. People don't get caught for them. They carry on doing them, and it's highly skilled, like counterfeiting money or whatever. This is, there are certain skills involved in that kind of thing, robbing places and so on. There are certain skills there, right? If a man can open up a kind of vault or a bank, there's, there's certain engineering ability there that most people on earth do not possess. That's ability. But it doesn't really have a lot of use, at least in that expression of it, in the church. To the same degree, there are various things that you think of when you think of your gifting. It's actually your employment, and it's how you're employed. And whether it's flying planes or as a carpenter or, or teaching chemistry or whatever it may be, there are all sorts of things that may be a little more limited in how it gets used within the body of Christ. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. There are people who fly planes for missionary purposes, and they, they are helping the church advance with that ability and skill that they have developed. But I want you to realize that you tend to think of yourself in terms of what you do most often. And it's important for you to recognize, how do I use that for the advancement of the kingdom? Or is there something else that I am able to do to help contribute to the advancement of the church? Some of you have social skills to encourage children that others do not possess. When they look at children, the children run. They're scared. They don't have that ability, whereas you're, you make them feel warm and fuzzy, and their whole personality just erupts onto the scene. They feel very at ease around you. Others can encourage young people. You have a way, you have a certain way of, of speaking to them in a way they hear, and that's, that's a gifting too. Others are, are more focused on, on seniors, and they're able to be a huge encouragement to seniors or the sick, bedside manner, being able to come in and help people who are in a very difficult season of life, and they don't really want to see anyone, but they're okay seeing you because you have a certain manner that, that can fit within that context. There are forms of teaching and exhorting, giving, governing, hospitality. All these things are listed in the passages concerning gifting that we all should do, but some are able to do to a greater degree because of the measure of faith that they possess. Some give in ways that everyone else, or the vast majority of others, would wince. They simply couldn't fathom it. That, that percentage of their income or their wealth is going away from them. They're like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine that. I can't, they, don't, they, would, they would be in a panic and anxiety thinking about it. But to the other person, there's given a measure of faith that they can give so generously that others would squirm in that context. That's, that's gifting. That's what the Spirit of God and bestows measure of faith that, that is peculiar even though everyone else is doing it. Same with hospitality. We are all meant to be hospitable, and yet others have particular gifting in this area that should be expressed and harnessed more and more because you have that ability. So everyone has a spiritual gift. And since God is the one who distributes and gives, I can't tell you what yours is. Now, having said that, if you come to me, I can certainly talk to you 
and give consideration to it, and I may be able to see things you, you don't see. Or if you talk to other spiritually capable people, perceptive people who know you well, they also may help you and say, you know, that's maybe where you are. The other way to go about it is, sometimes you're brought into something by seeing a need that others don't see. They don't see it, but you see it. And for some reason you're drawn, you're like, why doesn't anyone do this? Well, because most other people don't even see it. That's why you see it, they don't. So maybe, maybe that's the calling right there. Because you, you see it, and that thing bothers you. There was a gentleman in the Calgary congregation, and they had been coming for a short time, and we had no one in the church that was, let's just say, handy, like a big term there of just handy, able to fix things and look at things. There was no one who was a member of the church at the time when I arrived that was naturally inclined that way. This man came in, and he was there maybe two or three months, starting to feel comfortable, enjoying the congregation, and I remember, he said, he looked over at a power outlet, and I can't remember what the issue was, but he looked at it and he said, would you like me to take care of that for you? I, I said, certainly, brother, that would be very helpful if you would do it. I don't think anyone else saw that, or if they saw it, they, they would, wouldn't know what to do. But he saw it, and he thought, I can, I can do that. And there were many other areas in that little congregation where he could see things, and was able to help. And I, I could list and not take up preaching time by going through them all. But he just, he just saw what others didn't see. And he could say, I can, I can help there. And he did it. And he did it very well. And it was very helpful on many, many occasions. So you, you just have to be perceptive and praying through it. But here is the bottom line. These gifts are from God. Everyone has one. Right? Like if, if that's the only thing you go away remembering. Everyone. Everyone has one. Maybe multiple. You have to figure out what it is. That you may use it for the Lord's glory. So, the origin of gifts. The objective of gifts. What's the objective? Well, ultimately, you can look at it in terms of the glory of God. And you can look at it in terms of gratitude and thanksgiving. Because you think of the Magi, what are they doing? I don't think news had gotten to their ears that the family of Joseph and Mary were in a tight spot materially and they should bring their wealth to help them out. Now, that may indeed have been the case. It may. But I, I don't think that news traveled all those hundreds and hundreds of miles to people that they didn't know to say, can you help us out materially? I don't think that happened. But they came recognizing the reason why they were making the journey. And they brought what they could, their wealth. And they thought, how do we show honor? How do we show recognition? If we were going to a king, what would we do? We'd bring of the most valuable possessions we have and lay them at the feet as a sign of our service to, our allegiance to, our loyalty to this superior. So we can think of it in terms of the glory of God. We can think about it in terms of gratitude. But in a practical way, when you get to 1 Corinthians 12, you see a word that is used in verses 4, 5, and 6. Look at 
1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 6. Now, there are diversities of gifts. Verse 5, there are differences of administrations. Verse 6, there are diversities of operations. In all three instances, diversities, differences, it's the same word. It's the same word. And the words themselves are fine. Variety might be another word you might put in there just to fill in some of the picture. It's the same. And so one of the things, one of the objectives of gifts is to create variety within the body of Christ. As I've said, every time Paul deals with this subject, whether it's here or Romans or Ephesians, every time he deals with the subject, he deals with it in the context of the illustration of the body. And he comes to this, this picture and people have debated where this picture comes from, where it has arisen, why he uses it. I mean, you, you can see it. You can see it kind of in the language, like the day Paul is converted, the sense of it is, is there in what Jesus says to him. This idea of the head and the body. When Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I am quite sure, sure, Saul, who became Paul, could see what Jesus was doing there. Because he's not going after Jesus, as I've said many other times. He's not going after Jesus, not directly. He can't, he's in heaven. But he is going after his people. And in the very language spoken to Paul that day of his conversion, there is the symbolism, there is the connection, there is the unity between Christ and his people on display. I'm pondering that. He could rightly come with these images. And there are other passages that may have filled in some of that for him. You have this understanding, the head, the body. And there's to be variety in the body. And that's part of, and I'll go through it all, but part of what the apostle argues here. Let's just look at some of the verses. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. The body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? So you can get the picture here. There's variety. And you're very glad because if you had just one part of your anatomy, then you were just one thing, you wouldn't be here today, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have gotten here by being a leg, right? Just being a leg. And you wouldn't have gotten here by just being an eye or whatever the case might be. You, you, you needed all your members, at least you needed sufficient of your members, functioning to, to get here, even to be physically present here today. And that picture then illustrates for us the importance of variety. Variety. That, yes, I need the eye, and I need my nose, and my ear, and my hands, and my feet, and all the rest of it. I need all these parts. And when the collective recognizes variety and embraces variety and says, I don't need to be like Joe over there. I just have to be me. As the Spirit has made me and equipped me and gifted me, that's what I'm to be then that creates the variety. The worst thing to happen is to 
lift up one expression of gifting and say we all need to attain to that. Gifting's not the same as sanctification. Christ, in terms of sanctification, is the sole goal. That's who we're looking to. That's who we're trying to emulate. That's what we seek to manifest, Christ-likeness. But in gifting, in gifting, Jesus was a preacher. But we're not all called to be preachers. So you have to see that the way the body functions under the head is to have variety. Variety. This takes the pressure off, doesn't it? That you don't have to be something you're not. Just be you. Embrace unique qualities found in you. How do I serve and extend the kingdom? That's the question. You don't have to be someone else. Every preacher can look and we may have our influences. There are men that we look up to, men we have benefited from, men who have shaped us and helped us. But the worst thing a young man can do is say, I am going to be him. No, you're not. Can't do it. And you're going to make a fool of yourself if you try. Be you. It needs to be refined. It needs to be helped. It needs to be worked upon. No man is the finished article. So variety. That's one of the objectives to give variety. We see that even in the, the Magi didn't all bring just gold or frankincense or myrrh. They all had particular benefit and so they brought variety from themselves and so God has it in the church as well. It's also to empower believers for the church. Empower believers this unique gifting, the objective of this gifting is to empower us. Again, if we were all the same, I mean, if everyone was trying to preach this morning, that would just be confusion, right? No one would be getting anything, right? You might be looking at the sermon this morning and hearing the preacher and thinking, well, I'm not getting much from him. That, that may be the case. I hope it's not, but it may be the case, but it would be worse if we were all trying to do it at the same time. We all just say, well, I'm going to preach. I'm going to get up and preach. And we're all going to talk over the top of one another. That would just be disastrous. Ephesians 4, verse 7. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Can you have this? We're given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Why? What's it for? It goes on in verse 12 of that passage. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Of Christ, of the building up of the body of Christ, to the strengthening of the body of Christ, to the support and the flourishing and the growth and the advancement of the body of Christ. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. As we have it again in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, the members should have the same care one for another. The same care one for another. There's a this overlapping of interest that is met by the variety of the members. That we're all able to achieve the goal 
because of these overlapping different people and different circumstances and seasons of life and gifting and knowledge and courage and faith. All this overlaps and creates then this functioning body. Which brings us then finally, the offering of gifts, the offering. We've seen the origin, we've looked at the objective, now let's consider the offering. The wise men didn't keep their gifts. They offered them. They presented unto him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They put it at his feet. So in thinking about this, the offering, of whatever gift you have or gifts you may possess, first, before they are offered, they must be accepted as a matter of stewardship. Recognizing this is, this is stewardship. The Spirit of God, working through all the members and distributing gifting, becomes a matter of stewardship. What is the Lord going to say to you, having bestowed a gift on your life, and you live your life ignoring it, not investing it, not laying up treasure in heaven with it? What will he say? There are parables that give indication of the intolerance of Christ to bestowing talents that are not then used. So, everyone has a gift, right? Hope we've established that. Everyone has one. And in the bestowal of that gift, you're stewarding something that he has given. There are diversities of gifts, back to 1 Corinthians 12. The word gifts there is charisma. You hear that, you think charismatic movement, but you don't have to think that way. The same word is used in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the charisma of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just gift. Gift. God gifts. And we are, according to Romans 12, 3, not to think more highly than we ought to think, but think soberly. And it's in relation to this whole idea of gifting. Not thinking more highly, but soberly. Not thinking, I think I am the world's next Spurgeon. No, just think soberly. <laughs> that will bring you back down to earth. You're not Spurgeon, and you're not going to be. So come back down to earth. But think soberly, nonetheless. It doesn't help for you to say, I'm not Spurgeon, therefore I'm not, I'm not a preacher. That's, that's not the conclusion. Or I'm not like this person who I see has such extraordinary gift in this, in this area. Therefore, I, because I can't do it the way they do it, therefore I, I'm not, I can't do anything. Again, that's the wrong conclusion. Think soberly. You've been stewarded by whatever measure you have it. It's, it's been given to you, and you're to steward that. What do you do with things that you're given to steward? You take care of it. You use it as the master has requested, and you build upon it if you can. Some, some giftings can be, can be developed. We can, we can grow if we apply ourselves. 
So we accept that before we offer it, this is something that we are called to steward. If we're called to steward then, secondly, I must apply it within the church with the right attitude. I must apply it within the church with the right attitude. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 12. There are differences of administrations. Administrations. You may have a margin that says ministries. The Greek word is diakonia. And as soon as I say that, you should be thinking, diakonia? That sounds like deacon. That means service. And you'd be right. That's the idea. There are differences of service. Now, nothing that is given for service is given for ourselves. This is what charismatic, tongue-speaking people don't get. I speak in heavenly language on my own. It's a gift from God to my edification in private. I say, then it's not a gift from God. Because the gifts from God are to flow to the body. All of them. You're not a preacher if you stand in your study and you preach to a mirror seven days a week. That doesn't make you a preacher. You have to stand before people. You have to get out to people. Services to people. And so it is for every gift. There are differences of administrations, of service. In 1 Peter, in chapter 4, where he deals with this, touches on it, he says, As every man hath received the gift, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. So why? Why have you been gifted? You've received it. Minister the same one to another. If not, you're coming up short. You're not stewarding it. And he, he makes that plain. This idea of stewardship come, comes out when he says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's what makes us a good steward. Recognizing we've received a gift. Everyone has received a gift. We minister that gift one to another as good stewards. Our gifts, just to point out, because when I was looking up the, the Greek words and terms here, I noted some texts that sort of thought, well, there's a thought there that would bear mentioning. Our gifts are not to remove us from what we are all called to do. There are things we are all called to do. We're all called to worship God together. And our gift should never supplant that. It should not regularly get in the way of that. Insofar as we are able, we do the things that we are called to do together. And I bring that up because it came to my mind realizing that the same word is found in Luke 10. When Martha was cumbered about much diaconia, <laughs> serving. She's serving there and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Better therefore that she help me. Mary had chosen the better part, hadn't she? There's a time and a place. And when the Lord comes to speak, we sit and we listen. When he comes to say, the time has come to worship, we give ourselves to worship. We don't say, well, I'm going to exclude myself because I'm doing some other service for the Lord. 
Our Lord Jesus exemplifies this service, that all service goes out to others, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. That's what you're doing with your gift. It wasn't bestowed upon me for me, but to give out, to minister unto others, even unto many. But it has to be done in the right way. I just want to underline this really briefly. Your ministry of your gift has to be done in, in a particular attitude or frame. And I'll just point out three things that I noted in going through this. First, humility. Humility. This is no time for pride. Oh, look, I've got this great gift, and you should just allow me room to do all of this and give me place and position and status and all that should come with it. No. No, again, that passage I mentioned in Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And he goes into this whole idea of gifting. No place for pride. Be humble about it. Charity. Context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Sandwiching in that when he's dealing with gifting is what? The importance of love. If you have not love, sounding brass, tinkling cymbal, you can give your body to be burned. If you have not love, it's nothing. There has to be love. And so you can be engaged in great acts. Things that, in a matter of service, even to martyrdom, appear tremendous. Yet before Christ, because there's no charity, nothing. Contentment. Contentment. We have the green eye of envy. We look at others and we think, that's where I should be. Or I should be doing that. Or I should have control over that ministry. Or my gift should be recognized in a particular way, whatever way that this comes in. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou dost not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it. In other words, as if this came from you. Why, why do you so desire attention? Why do you want the attention on yourself? Why do you act like this is some, something that you have developed yourself? The whole point of this is you don't have anything but what you have received. And the only one who ought to get glory is God alone. So as we submit to that, and that, that breeds, should foster contentment in our hearts. And then God's glory. I mentioned 1 Peter 4. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Right? So you've been given this gift. You're to steward it. 1 Peter 4, 11, If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Not trying to be someone else. Just the ability God has given you. That God and all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. It's to his glory. So those are just the way in which you go about this. Humility, charity, contentment, and for the glory of God. That's how you manifest and exercise your gifting once you recognize what it is and you're stewarding this. Then, a few other things. Gifts are regulated by the word and giving the blessing of spiritual oversight. The blessing being given of spiritual oversight, however you wish to word that. Gifts are regulated by the word and the giving of blessing by spiritual oversight. Just to understand, we don't just get to do what we want. Say, I, I, 
<laughs> I'm a flamingo dancer and I want to do it for the church. No, <laughs> not happening. It has to be regulated by the word. This was part was happening in the Corinthian church. They had gifting and they were expressing it whatever way they like. And it had to be regulated by God's word, which shows then and implies the, the place of pastors, elders, in those days apostles as well, to govern and facilitate the governing of how the gift may look. We made mention also of, of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. Paul knew he was to be a missionary from the day he was converted, and he waits for that for something around 12 or 13 years before they're sent. And the Holy Spirit says to the church, the time is now. And they send him. He doesn't go of his own accord. You have that also in Ephesians 4, perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is part of the work of pastors and elders. Fourth, there is a strength God gives for our particular gifting. You look again at 1 Corinthians 12. There are diversities of operations. That word operations is work. It's from where we get our word energy. Again, it just it's like we have this. Some of you can't help but do the things you do. You can't help it. That's what this is saying. You're just like driven in that direction. And that's the work of the Spirit in you in that particular way. It's peculiar to you. And finally, when everyone applies their gift, the church functions in harmony. It functions in harmony. Look at verse 7. Now, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The manifestation of the Spirit, the exhi exhibition or expression of the Spirit, the word profit with all, symphoral. Symphoral. You can hear the English word there, can't you? Symphony. It's to pull it together. It is all, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit all, to pull everyone together like a symphony. The idea of bringing together is the sense of the word and it is expedient, it is good for everyone when that functions. So, the wise men presented their gifts, gifts that God had given them, they returned to his feet. That, that's part of our response to the incarnation. You're pondering, God sent his son. He came to live. He came to die. He came to rise again. He obtained eternal redemption. His blood purchased our salvation. His life guarantees our life. You have all this flowing out of Christ. Being justified. Being sanctified. But being empowered. And if you're saying, I'll take this justifying grace... So I'm right before God. I'll even take a sanctifying grace so I can live the Christian life in some kind of respectful, respectful, God-glorifying way. But if you stop short, why are you here? Why are you breathing? If you stop short there, you might as well be in heaven. This was Paul's. I have a desire 
to depart, to be with Christ, to be with the head. Nevertheless, it's more needful to be here with you in body. The tension was because, in one sense, in either place he serves Christ. One, it is seeing him himself in all of his splendor and glory. And there has to be some kind of desire for that. But competing with that, competing with that, even for the heavenly-minded, eternally-minded Paul, was a sense of the legitimacy and the honor and the wonder of serving his body here on the earth. What's your gift? Whether it be gold, frankincense, myrrh, or whatever it is, present it to Christ today. Let's bow together in prayer. It's hard for a preacher to cut through the, the mentality that comes upon us all during these holiday times. We're caught up with what we have to do, preparing meals and wrapping gifts and, and all the extra things that are out of the normal duty of your life. Consider what you've heard. Let it govern. And make sure you're praying until you know what your gifting is and how it actually edifies the body and advances the kingdom. And if you need help, as I mentioned, I'd be glad to pray about the matter with you and counsel where I may be able. Lord, we pray for a spiritual symphony in this congregation. We're thankful for the measure of enjoyment we possess already. In some sense, this message is, is not saying to people what's not happening. It's, it's encouraging what already is there and helping others to get on board. Remember all who are busy in their various places in this great expression of our gratitude and may we all be further empowered may others join in to enable the the music that ascends spiritually in the presence of a fallen world and before the living God may it be even more harmonious and glorious so bless us spirit of God fill our hearts give to you all the praise. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be the abiding portion of all the people of God, now and evermore. Amen.